Well, good to be with you all. And uh, we're experiencing a heat wave out here um, at the moment. Um, What's the heat wave look like in Odaya? 100 degrees. Oh, wow. 108 in Ukiah, which is not far the other day. Pretty warm. Um, we're trying to save one of the teats of, a, of one of our cows that she stepped on accidentally, or one of the other cows stepped on. Um, working on that. Uh, but that's a common hazard uh, in, uh, in, in dairies. I've um, been working on my book on terms of Sanskrit details, going over the Sanskrit and translations of commentaries, and making sure the way they've been translated in English are actually accurate, which isn't, unfortunately, often is not exactly the case. So um, uh, progressing through the chapters doing that takes some time and otherwise everything's uh everything's good okay so what questions we have this morning yeah we'll start with chaitanya daya you cannot chaitanya be daya. okay good morning guru Maharaj. good morning thank you, for those, thank you for those apples they looked really nice on the plate this morning they smelled really nice and they tasted really nice Oh, I'm glad that um, you and Gorni Tiger and the Vaishnavs there could enjoy them. Yeah, very, very nice. That's a specialty of your I area. I'm really happy about that. Yeah, yeah. nice so, the, way, the way you cut them and dry them is, is, is very artful also. It's amazing how there's a natural star in, inside of apples and pears, you know. <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty uh, special. Um, so, yeah, I have a question, Gumaraj, about, you know, those circle of friends excerpts that you were sending via uh -huh. email. Um, so I've got some curiosity about the Mai Takur. So from what I can understand, you know, he's Janava's adopted son, right? Yeah. And he, apparently he was very influential. And, well, hold on, let me back up. So he was promoting the idea or the thought that Janava is also a Nungamandri, right? And yes. as far as I understand, he's very influential, yet he had departed from the tradition. And there was one email or one of the excerpts where you go into detail a little bit about the differences. So I think I have a kind of, I'm squishing a bunch of questions into one. So is he really that bad? Of a, not, I shouldn't say bad. Maybe that's not the right word. But he, if he's considered unreliable, then should we even entertain the ideas that he's having or that he's presenting? And especially since he's a little bit, sounds like he's maybe a little bit roguish. I'm just trying to understand him and how well, much I should try and believe him. If that makes yeah. any sense. Sure, sure, it does. Good question. Yeah. Um, well, I think that you have to understand that at the time, um, the Gaudi of Vaishnav uh, community was just developing in terms of having a cohesive orthodox uh, theology. Um, and as you probably know, religion is, is human made, um, which means that, you know, humans have divine inspiration, they try to put it in, in words and thought and, and relate it and so forth. 
So the dispensation of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the person of Mahaprabhu, was uh, very extraordinary and influenced all kinds of people who were trying to understand um, who he was, what he what he was, um, um, that he was that he was spiritual was, you know, without without a doubt. But and and of course, when I say what he was, who he was, you know, take into consideration the time, and the time involves a um, even for the secular community, which was rather small. I would say in comparison to the religious community, but the the sacred texts of the Hindus, the Puranas, for example, um, were very much uh, you know authoritative. Um, you know, unlike today in today's world, you know they're they're not seen in the same way. So when you try to figure out something that's happening in the world, you know you relate it to your main texts. Like today, maybe it's you know scientific texts or something like that. Um, so they were related to the Puranas, and so naturally they 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 saw him as a, what's referred to there as the as an avatar, and then what kind of avatar, and then the theologizing that he's avatari, uh, as Rupa Goswami did, and so forth. And so there's a lot of ideas out and about. Um, by uh, that even uh, great devotees were entertaining. We have an example of that in the Chaitanya Charitamrita in Jagannath Puri, where Srupadamadar became the secretary of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and any offering of poetry that uh, was um, um, written um, in glorification of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and was uh, and the poet sought to pass it on uh, to him was passed through Sarukdamadar, who would check it for its accuracy in terms of Siddhanta and and Rasa Tattva. This is what Chaitanya Charitamrita explains. And so there was kind of a, a filter, if you will. Um, and by by I should say that by that time. The Goswami's books were out and had been circulated and so forth. And this was becoming, you know, the orthodox position on who Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is, whereas there were other positions that were acceptable, uh, others that were considered, you know, that they should be retired and so forth. At any rate, in the, in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, there's an example of one devotee offering praise to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and it being rejected by Sarupadamadar and other great devotees, that devotee's name, I don't think it's mentioned, but other devotees were vouching for him and thinking, that sounds like a great praise. Hmm? Uh, you know, some of the, let's give another example, uh, well, related, some of the sannyasis uh, who, who, were, who were sannyasis from the Advaita Sampradaya who joined Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, they probably came from the Puri moth of Shankar, which is influenced by Bhakti, but they had like a Bhakti, you know, conception of Advaita. So Bhakti as a means to Advaita or something like that, but they got converted by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, but they carried with them some of the theological and theoretical ideas only to, be, to have them adjusted. And, oh, this is what a Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is, 
is such and such. And we get it all in a package. It's just like this and it's all figured out. But they were figuring it out. And the fact that they were figuring it out is not like a fault necessarily. When we look at and we see that here they are associates of Krishna in Krishna Leela. Krishna enters into this adventure to try to step into the bhav of Radha, which is like Radha knows, oh man, his head's going to spin. Um, so she goes along with him. It's Godadha, everything lands in Navadweep and it's, it's not, it's a little out of place. You know, Radha Kun's over here, Govardhan's over there on that island. And so there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a um, expected confusion on the part of the associates of Krishna who are now in sadhaka, perfected sadhaka days in a new leela where they find out that they are the associates of, of Krishna who's appeared now as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So you, you could just imagine the kind of the flashes of insight that they were having and wondering and pinching themselves, is this happening or who am I? Uh, I and so on and so forth. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu also, you know, his omniscience is there and then it recedes to the background and he's trying to step into Radha's shoes. And very beautifully presented in Chaitanya Charitamrita, it's not till the very, the very, very end of the Chaitanya Charitamrita when the last verse of Shikshastakam is uttered by Mahaprabhu, that Krishna Das puts his stamp on it and says, and Radha has spoken this. It's over, it's a success. It's in terms of his internal pursuit, it's, he, he has entered into the Bab of, of Radha. So overall, there's a, there's, there's a, um, room for uh, some confusion, if you will, even theological confusion. You have to look also at the theology and the philosophy as something that's relative because it's a construct, um, human-made, divinely inspired, um, but constructed by humans with uh, thought and, 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 and word and so forth that can never do justice to something that transcends them. Um, um, so, uh, you know, uh, that's why sometimes it can be said that the best way to explain the philosophy is the way by which it causes you to practice. Hmm? <laughs> and therefore there may be even tweaking of it at, at, at times, someone a, a great soul may take some liberties to tweak it in a certain way. It may even different from the from the founding of Charis in certain a certain time and circumstance for a certain period to to get people to practice. Because only by practicing will we know. You're not going to you're not going to enter into Gopi Bhav by reading about it. Um, the, the Chaitanya Charitamrita says you won't understand the Bhagavatam just by studying the Tikas and reading the book, hmm? only by bhakti. Now those are, you know, bhakti, you know, in a sense, actually studying the Gita could be related to the Bhagavatam as well, Krishna says in the end, this is Gyan Yoga, Gyan Yoga hmm? Yagya, you know, Gyan Yagya, not Yoga, but Yagya of sacrifice, uh, uh, of not, or the, the sacrifice of knowledge. Um, of course, it's some Bandagyan that we're gathering, which is part of Bhakti and so forth. But, but at any rate, the Sambandagyan that is a knowledge relative to Bhakti, what is the form of Krishna, what's the relationship between the Jiva and Krishna Jiva in the world, and so on and so forth, um, 
all this is to help us, I often say it's a conceptual orientation that fosters the action of bhakti, which is the means to the goal. So if that gathering of sambandhagyan is not serving to foster practice, you're not gonna get the prayojan. So this is just an important point uh, to, to emphasize. So the fact that some great devotees might present something theologically that's different in, in some way um, for the sake of preaching perhaps, or may not have even been fully acquainted with that particular aspect of the teaching and how Jiva Goswami wrote about it, doesn't necessarily have to be some huge uh, fault. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'm pretty, pretty learned, you know, in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, but I, but I learn things all the time um, uh, about it um, as well. And sometimes I, I, I find that, oh, I was thinking he was, was saying this over here and I was actually saying that. And, and that's on, ongoing. And so as long as someone is, you know, thoroughly honest, it's, oh, it's like that. Thank you. You know, instead of then getting his ego or her ego getting involved, I thought it was like that. It must be like that. You know, uh, if, if you understand the relativity of it in a healthy way, you know, it's very freeing, so to speak. Hmm? Um, someone may give you a, you know, a correction on some, some detail and uh, you may be able to offer one to them, you know, go, going, going forward. And what is that? that that's about the, how the, how, what the theory of the Goswamis, how, how they said it, how they wrote it. Hmm? Is that everything? No. Hmm? Um, so that's the, the point I'm making. So at given that now this is all, now we're going, this is all now, but then prior to that even being established and so forth, hmm, there were different uh, conjectures. You could say that conjectures of some devotees about Mahaprabhu and, and whatnot were there to be corrected by the Goswamis, by the arrangement of Krishna, that he played through some uh, in a certain way who espouse an idea that, for example, let's say, for example, the idea of um, the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna. He's not an avatar of Krishna, he's Krishna himself. And Krishna, uh, his uh, rasa reaches its apex in, in, in Parakya. So we should have Parakya for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Well, there's a certain logic to that. Hmm? And some devotees seem to advocate that through their their poems and and so forth. Um, but uh, uh, the vast and some people still maintain that there are sects who who pursue that. But that is, those are very outlier sects. And, and Ramai Thakur, you know, goes in 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 that direction with some of his ideas. Um, but that's that's not like orthodox. Um, Siddhanta. And I think that, that those ideas were meant to be retired. Hmm? Um, um, and that they, but they played out through some, for the purpose of they're having, they're having the opportunity to be retired by the Goswami's writings. I mean, just a particular way of looking at it. But again, some maintain those ideas. There, there's always, there's been this conflict between, between Bengal and, and the Vrindavan Goswamis. Hmm? The Vrindavan Goswamis do not emphasize Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as much as they emphasize Krishna in their writing. But if you understand their writing about Krishna, 
then you understand there has to be Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. They're just very beautifully showing that hmm? um, without coming out and saying, Chaitanya is God, you know. Uh, this Bengali over here is Krishna, uh, Radha and Krishna combined. Um, it might not have gone over so well. So they, 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 they approached it with a certain strategy. And if you look at it, um, they really plumb the psychological depths of Krishna. And the obvious conclusion is the one that, that they come to, that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was Krishna, Radha and Krishna combined. But it's only later that so much writing about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu coming from the Bengal side is there. And there was some tension at some point uh, where some wanted to give more direct um, attention to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu uh, than seeing him as a means to Krishna Leela. Um, and, and, and there, 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 there's some, some, you know, validity of that and so forth. And we, and we find it in, in, Ch in Chaitanya Charitamrita, for example. Um, so all, all good, but then it can go too far. So um, that's, you know, kind of what's going on. And at the time of the Maitaka world, Nityananda has retired, you know, passed from the world. Most of the Dwadasa Gopals, his immediate associates have also passed away. Um, and Janavas is, is saintly, she didn't have any children, um, and, and she uh, um, took, uh, you know, was, was honored by everyone and um, elevated in, in, in stature spiritually. And she then, the passing of Nityanandabhu and the prominence of Janava combined with the Goswami's books coming out, her visits to Vrindavan, her, her hearing the Gaudi, the, 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 the theology of the Goswamis hmm, um, and embracing that caused a turn in the Sampradaya from Sakirasa emphasis to Madhuri Rasa and the Manjari Bhav emphasis. And she was a focal point um, you know, for that. And some of the Dwarasa Gopals who were still, still, still present at the time but aging, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't uh, so much uh, appreciate the turn in, to the extent to which it occurred. There's some evidence to that effect, and if you look at it over time, it, it, it become a little radical. Whereas even nowadays, you find some people say, "Oh, the Sakyaras, there's no place for that. That doesn't. That's not um, part of our sampradaya and so forth." You know. So they would speak of knowing a little philosophy, be good to know a little history, but um, they don't. But at any rate, um, um, there was a place for what John was doing. Now you take someone like Ramai Thakur, right? Her adopted son. He went with her to Vrindavan. Um, and after his passing, it seemed like he, you know, he wanted to make a special claim about his uh, sector and um, his mentor, uh, Devi. And uh, he was originally uh, worshipped Krishna Balaram deities himself. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, you know, he, he um, you know, he, well, like I said, he, he, he theologized in a way that was based clearly on this Goswami Siddhanta, but he theologized in a way that, that also uh, he didn't think of it in this way at the time, but the way the entirety, if you will, 
of the Sampradaya looked at it was, well, that's something we're going to ignore. Hmm. We'll take some of the things from there, the Janavas and Anga, well, you know, okay, we can go with that. I mean, he, she is the wife of Nityananda Prabhu, Nityananda is Balaram. So I guess you could say that, although Kavikarnapur said Revati, you know, which is the actual wife of Balaram. Um, um, but um, uh, if you, well, if you, uh, if you say that she's the wife of Nityananda Prabhu, then you're saying she's the Shakti of Nityananda Prabhu. Uh, anyway, uh, you know, it's, 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 just, it's a bit of a stretch. I mean, to be honest with you, but as I wrote in the article, some of the ideas have been embraced and they're not uh, necessarily harmful. They're not embraced by the Goswamis. They don't say any of those things about Ananga Manjari and, 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 uh, and Balaram or Balaram, Ananga being the Shakti of Balaram. Uh, but, but if, if Janava's Ananga, then she has to be the Shakti of, 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 of Balaram because Janava's the Shakti of Balaram. Um, so I don't know, you know, I, 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 I guess I would say the tradition was being generous and taking into consideration the spiritual spirituality of Ramaya Thakur, which there's some evidence for which that, that, that was considerable. Um, and um, then the theolo theological ideas that he had that went overboard and tried to turn Nityananda into something, you know, they would say more than what he is, I would say less than what he is, but uh, um, those ideas, I guess the way the tradition is like that is they just don't say anything about it, you know, for the most part, or not much, or bring it up the way I have, you know, uh, which I felt the need for because of some of the ideas that are circulating around. There's some, some persons from the Tinnandu Pari Bar who were getting some notoriety um, undue, in my opinion. They're critical of, of Prabhupada even, um, and saying that they're giving the real, you know, rasa about Nityananda. I granted these things, I thought, well, I better, you know, it fits what I was writing in the book, so I thought I'd write an appendix about it. So we don't, you know, we don't go that far. We're objective about it. Uh, it's a different religion, you know, that's another way to look at it. It's Gaudiya Vaishnavism plus you know, some other idea that's just not orthodox Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So where we'll take anybody, you know, well, I don't plan to go there and find out. Uh, but, um, um, you know, I think that the tradition has tried to honor Ramai Thakur, the, the greater tradition part of it, uh, and um, accept insights as far as they do not contradict the Goswamis. Those that have contradicted, um, they don't entertain them. Um, and so, uh, I wouldn't dismiss Ramai Thakur altogether. Look at Bhaktivinoda. Bhaktivinoda Thakur is initiated in the line that Ramai Thakur comes in. Hmm? And he didn't accept any of those ideas. And that's his, his Diksha Parampara. Um, that's an interesting point because, of course, Bhaktivinoda Thakur is initiated by Bipin Bihari Goswami in that line. And it's typical of, on the, of, for Gaudiya Math people and Iskon people to somewhat uh, dismiss Vipin Bihari Goswami, the initiating guru of, of um, Bhaktivinoda Thakur, because of something they heard. They don't even know what, but they just dismiss him and say, well, you know, he, 
the real connection for Bhakti Vinod was Jagannath Das Babaji or something like that, his Siksha Guru. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's people on the other side that say, look at all these things that, reverential things that Bhakti Vinod has written about his Diksha Guru. This is the, this is his Siddha line. This is where he got his, 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 uh, his Swaroop from. And this is the real spiritual line. Well, you know, uh, it would be nice if the Gaudiya Madhanistic people actually knew, you know, what Bhakti Vinod philosophically, theologically thought. That's a good reason to say, well, this is where he has a, takes a theological liberty to align himself with the theology of the Goswamis hmm, without um, uh, offending his Guru Parampara, hmm, uh, but just not entertaining certain ideas where they deviate and, and, and so forth. So he kind of kept a balance. But I mean, for him to do that, says something about Bhaktivinoda Thakur, it does say that, well, there are things in him, which Bhakti Siddhanta said, you won't find in Bipin Bihari Goswami, his guru. That's true. Hmm? So when you look at the article that I've written and you see the theological liberties that Bhakti Thakur took to align himself with the theology of the Goswamis, despite a different, a nuance, you know, some difference in, in, his, in, in his line, then you really have reason politely to say, well, you know, uh, we, we call ourselves the Bhakti Vinod Paribar. He's the seventh Goswami. You know, we, we, we're not as concerned with his lineage, but we don't, you know, disrespect it or anything like that. But there are theological reasons. Hmm? And most people don't know those theological reasons. Well, you can draw them from the article that I, that I wrote. And, you know, and then on the other hand, this big emphasis on you know, oh, if, if Bhakti Vinod didn't have the connection with Bihar, he wouldn't have his suruk and so Well, you know, if you see, see what Bhakti Vinod is, you might want to think about that. What, even the theological liberties that he was able to take, the insight that he had, well, he, it's not as important, perhaps, uh, as you, you want to make it out, the be-all and end-all. So on both sides, there's some lacking. And I think an article like mine can help to, you know, fill in the gap a little bit here and, and certainly Indirectly, the article does say a lot about um, um, Bhakti Vinod Thakur. So anyway, Ramai Thakur kind of took, and even in even in, well, even in the line of um, the, the Bhagnapar line that um, Ramai Thakur is in, after him, even as I mentioned in my article, I think in in Bamsi Siksha of Premdas. He doesn't accept that the Janava is an Angamanjari. So, you know, that's in the same line. So, what can you do? I mean, I'm in a particular line. The Bhaktivinoda Prab- Paribar and Prabhupada said sometimes people fall from Goloka. I don't accept it. Hmm? It's not true. But, you know, he said the opposite too, <laughs> luckily. So, you know, uh, you have to be able to sort these things out a little bit without offending anybody. We have a high regard for Bhikkhu Bihari Goswami, we have high regard for Ramai Thakur. But we don't agree with everything that he says necessarily, and this is a this is a it's a good question. It's an interesting point because a lot of times the way it's been presented, or at least it's been imbibed by people in the West, is is this real absoluteness? There's there's no room for for thinking about it, and 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 you know whatever the whatever the guru said is exactly 108 percent has to be fully. Well, I can tell you that you know. Yeah, that's not exactly the way. I, that's not my experience. 
And I have all regard for my gurus. I think I, I don't think I just, some people will think I'm a heretic, I suppose, but, but I don't agree with everything that uh, Sridhar Mar said, everything that Prabhupada said, because I know other things, I know the sources and so forth, and, and, and I know myself, I've said things, well, later I say, oh, it, was, it would have been better to speak, explain it like this, this is a better analogy or, or whatever. So, and they themselves were doing that. Hmm? Prabhupada himself was doing that. Sridhar Mar himself was doing that with, with regard to things that Bhakti Siddhanta said and so forth. So, I hope that helps. Uh, yeah, that was really helpful. Yeah, thank you. That really, okay. I was able to get a clearer picture on that. So thank you very much. Okay, thanks for asking. Okay. Radhima, do you want to ask your question? Who? Radhima. Radhima. Can you hear me? Yes, good morning. Good okay. to see you. How are you both? It's good to see you. Um, so I was listening to a class recently when you were commenting on, um, the quote that someone said that the PhD is kind of like the new sannyas. And you were talking about when you were talking about that quote, how, um, it's different because with people who have PhDs, they're kind of checked by academia. Um, and so, and then you also mentioned that there's kind of an emotional component to like Gaudiya Vaishnavism that can't, that has like kind of trouble existing within academia. So I was wondering, like, like should people be researching Gaudiya Vaishnavism from like an academic point of view? And if so, what would, like, what does that look like? Because it seems to, un like, to understand it, you have to have some Audi car that maybe you can't get in like a PhD program. Yeah, I was just wondering about that. Yeah, well, I mean, if people want to study Gaudiya Vaishnavism, I think that's good. And it, it, it means that um, the example of it and, and the teachings of it are, um, um, uh, people find interest in it, even if they don't want to practice it. Um, and, and it's really true about Gaudiya Vaishnavism. There's a lot of people, or a good number of people in Indology and, and, and Sanskrit and so forth, uh, studies that, that have found it to be very interesting without uh, practicing it. It's just so, it's just so theologically uh, nuanced. I mean, if you look at Advaita Vedanta, for example, in comparison, it, it turns it on its head upside down, you know, in terms of nuance and um, theological complexity, the different figures, who is Radha, who is, you know, who is Balaram, who is Krishna, you know, and who's Narayan, the difference, the oneness, and so forth. Um, uh, it's, 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 it's very, uh, very interesting. I mean, and it's kind of like what humans have said about God. Well, it's, it's, it's pretty hard to come up with uh, something that uh, says, whether it's true or not, you know, you can decide, but says more about God than what Gaudiya Vaishnavism has said, it would, especially when it, it specializes in the prayogen and the nature of transcendence uh, and so forth. Um, I mean, uh, there are very interesting things that the Gaudiya Vaishnavacharis have said about the nature of Vaikuntha that you won't even find in the Ramanuja Sampradaya, which is all about Vaikuntha. Um, it's very interesting. So anyway, um, just from a theological uh, 
philosophical point of view, it has some, some power in it. So it attracts a, a good number of minds who have some interest in Eastern uh, spirituality, even from an academic um, point of view, as, as Indian Eastern thought does, you know, um, there's going to be minds, philosophical minds that are attracted um, to that. And then within that, Gaudi Vaishnavism is, is like a rich vein. Hmm? So I think it's good that people study, um, but I think it underscores the point we made earlier. Simply by studying the teaching academically, you may study the teaching academically and you may know the theory, the teaching, better than somebody that practices. Hmm? It's possible. If you don't read Sanskrit, you can't look at the commentary yourself and and uh, you know to be to have a PhD in analogy, uh, you have to you have to learn Sanskrit and so forth. Um, so you know they'll they'll go over the books in detail. I was once sitting with it's a little different, but related with Puri Goswami Marsh once, and a, and a Mayavadi was in town in Vrindavan, and that night he was speaking on Gaudiya Vaishnavism, and Puri Marsh said, "Oh, he knows the he knows the he knows the Siddhanta better than we do," hmm? and he chuckled because you know he's not practicing it at all. At, it at all. So what's the value of that from the Gaudiya point of view? Um, so just knowing the philosophy in and of itself, if that does not foster practice, it's, 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 very, it's very much there to help us practice, but if we don't use it for that purpose, if it just stays between our ears and doesn't go into our heart, it cause action can bring about change, participation in transrational activities, ego-effacing activities, and so forth, bhava-promoting activities, then, um, you know, then it's, it's, a, real sh it's a real shame. Hmm? And, and, um, and so there's, there's a healthy, uh, you know, caution about that. But, you know, uh, we, 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 can, we can learn something. Sometimes you read this, uh, what ac some academic has written about Krishna consciousness. You can you might find something there that you, the point you didn't know, look it up, ask your guru. And, um, and it's nice that other people are talking about Krishna. They have some appreciation for it from a philosophical point of view, that it's, again, that it's interesting, um, that it maybe it has some, uh, it, it has a rational basis uh, to it. It's reasonable um, uh, amongst uh, it, it's very different too. I mean, it's, of course, the whole Eastern idea is very different. Western Christian uh, and Abrahamic theology is very like history-based, happen a time, and um, in the objective world, which is the real world. I mean, we start out with the objective world, not the real world. That's the starting point, you know. And you're not your body, you know. Whoa! So it's like a whole different, you know, all these problems of conflicts, for example, with science and religion, it, they don't have as much bearing on, 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 on Eastern thought. And when you come to science and you get to the point, is the, are we the body or are we not the body? Well, you know, they come up short in terms of an explanation that is um, evidence-based and conclusive um, in terms of saying we are the body and therefore we are not. There is no self, you know that that, that they come up, come up short there. Um, we don't. We come up short in terms of the way they will accept 
what, what they will accept as proof, but we have our own proofs, experiential proofs and so forth. Anyway, so um, I think there's a, you know, there's a place for, for those persons. Now, is there a place for devotees having academic degrees? Yeah, there is, I think. Um, and if they have that tendency, that, that may be a good way to go. I know there are a number of devotees who have academic uh, tendency, inclination and so forth, but they chose not to get into Gaudiya Vaishnavism in terms of their academic degree because they didn't want to look at the tradition from this very sterile, objective perspective where you're not allowed to express any feeling in what you write about it. it you're just step back. It's, it's, a, it's an object that you're investigating. You're not invested in it subjectively. Um, and if you are, well, your academic credentials are, uh, are, 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 are soiled. So, um, um, yeah, those are some thoughts about, does that help? Yeah, that definitely um, does help, yeah. There is a place in academia now and has been for some time um, where there's an acknowledgement that in order to understand a tradition, like a religious tradition, religious, religious tradition like Gaudiya Vaishnavism, the subjective experience of the practitioners has to be taken somewhat into consideration. It didn't used to be like that. It used to be, forget those people, they're subjectively involved, they don't know what they're doing. Hmm? We're looking at the thing objectively, and we see it for what it is. Hmm? They're too close to it, so they can't look at it objectively. But over time, then that, there was a, a, a shift in that, and there was an acknowledgement within academia that, that these traditions, the practitioners are, are experiencing something. And so there, there's, there's some, some over, overlapping now. Um, but not enough to give you, you, if you are an academic, you, you really can't, you can't write like I do. I mean, you know, my writing is got a lot of feeling in it. I mean, it's well-researched and, and, and whatnot too, uh, but I have to take, take all the feeling out for it to pass as an academic work, which, which I wouldn't want to do, so. So, some thoughts on that. Thank you for your question. What else? Your answer. Yeah, you're welcome. And we wouldn't want you to take the emotion out of your writing either, for sure. Yeah. Greg? Greg. Greg, yeah, from the UK. Greg Hope. Hare Krishna Maharaj, yes. Yeah, I should mention, you've written me a couple letters that I should make, and I was gonna make an announcement on uh, Padva Vivek or Gaudiya, what is it called? Sangha on uh, Facebook. I can't keep up with the personal correspondence. I'm just like way behind. So if any of you have written me and haven't got reply, it's nothing personal. But uh, I'm just uh, no problem. I understand. Yeah, you're very busy. Yeah, get to it. Um, I, I really nice to well, see. You. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, nice to see you too, Maharaj. I appreciate the opportunity to ask you a question. Now, it may it's perhaps um, overly broad, but um, uh, I was wondering if you could um, say a little bit about um, the difference between Ruchi, Rasa, Rag, and Bhav, and, and how they correlate. Yes, okay. So um, I'll give a brief answer to that. Um, 
there are, Rupa Goswami is given like nine st stages of development in Bhakti from um, initial shraddha, initial faith, hmm, that comes through hearing from devotees, one begins to tread the path. And then in the context of that faith, he or she seeks to have association of like-minded devotees. So Sadhu Sangha then grows the faith. And in the context of Sadhu Sangha, some Sadhu stands out as, a, as an example and a mentor, and then we accept her as our guru. Mm -hmm. And then she instructs us in the practices. And so from Shraddha, faith to Sadhu Sangha, in the context of Sangha finding a guru, we learn how to do bhajan. So that's called bhajana kriya, the life of the, the, the actual acts of bhajan. And then, then in, in, in the acts of bhajan, there, there, there's a stage where it's unsteady. Hmm? Practices are unsteady and we become distracted. And then there's a point where it becomes steady. Hmm? And so passing through the unsteady, that's clearing an arthas, unwanted false goals and so that we cherished and are attached to we let go of and and so forth that's called um um nivritti removing the anarthas as the major principal anarthas are removed like lust and greed and avarice one's practice now in bhajana creed becomes steady so from anishta unsteady practice to nishta steady practice and when the practice is very steady then once intellect is fully engaged, mind and senses um, in due course, one kind of comes out on the other side. So if we were to compare this to here, you want to go to the Valley of Prem and there's a mountain between you and the valley. Mm -hmm. So you need to go up to the top of the mountain and down into the valley. So when we get to the top, that's Nishta. Mm -hmm. And you can see the valley down there. It's still a long ways to go, but it's all downhill from here. Mm -hmm. Right, so so then you as as you start to go down the hill, that's that's Ruchi. Now your practice, um, which previously was being driven by probably philosophy um, and example of others, um, is an intellect is. Is now being driven by a taste, hmm? a taste for for all the practices, and no taste for other things. Mahaprabhu says about ruchi, I don't have any taste for uh, wealth or followers or um, um, uh, relationships. The need for that emotional intimacy, or uh, uh, I only want, have taste for bhakti. Hmm? So that, that's called ruchi, ruchi. And ruchi is, uh, is like when you can start to tangibly experience and consistently some, something coming from the other side. Hmm? And so it, it appears in a certain way relative to, your, to the type of sadhusanga you've had. So ruchi for following Krishna in, in Madhuri Rasa or in, 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 in Sakya Rasa. Hmm. And uh, that it's characterized primarily by attachment to bhakti. And that attachment to bhakti is specific, so a specific kind of flavor of bhakti. 
and then it matures from ruchi into what's called asakti. Asakti means attachment. So now from attachment to bhakti, we become attachment, attached to the object that that bhakti corresponds with, the picture of Krishna that corresponds, for example, with Sakyabhav. Hmm? It'd be slightly different than the picture of Krishna that corresponds with Vatsalyabhav. Mother Soda likes to see him as a child, hmm? yeah, right? So there are certain qualities that are going to stand out to her. In Sakharas, they like to see him as a young boy, so they're going to see him in terms of those qualities. So from attachment to bhakti, one develops attachment to the object of bhakti, Krishna, in a particular way, as he appears. And that is the last point in what we call sadhana bhakti. And from there, you enter into bhava bhakti. Now the culture, the cultivation continues in bhava bhakti, but the cultivation in sadhana bhakti is more like preparing the ground. It's more like that. And oh, look, something's coming up. Oh, okay. Seed's been planted, the ground, something's coming up, taking care of it. Care. Now in bhava bhakti, blossoms are coming. The blossoms to the mango tree that you planted are coming. So fruits are coming soon. You know, the fruits are coming. You know they're coming because they're blossoms. Look, it blossoms. Fruits are going to be coming now. So this is, this is, this is Bhava Bhakti. Bhava is also called Rati. It's another name for Bhava, for Bhav. So there's a difference between Bhava and Ruchi, right? Which you asked about. Then you also asked about Rasa and Raga, right? So what Bhava Bhakti is, is like, if you, uh, you, Rupa Goswami gives an analogy. If you were to take the, were to take the sun and take a, a beam of sunlight, Hmm? The sun would be Prem, and the beam would be Bhava. So a beam of, of the sun of Prem comes in the heart, hmm? and then it's, it's cultivated to take one into the, into the sun of Prem. And that's when Bhava becomes Rasa. Hmm? Hmm? So when there's, a, there's the Ankur, the sprout of Bhava, and then there's the mature stage of bhava. So there's cultivation, there's sadhana bhakti, there's bhava bhakti, and there's prema bhakti. So three stages in a, in a broader sense. So the cultivation in bhava bhakti turns bhava, churns the bhava into prema. And then the, what the center of the bhava is, is called the stai, which means the dominant emotion that defines a person, like a friend of Krishna, lover of Krishna. So a little bit of this is coming in Ruchi, right? As I mentioned, in, ba in Bhava now it's, it's really sprouting, right? So that's Taibhav, when that, the sprout matures and fruits, then that, that dominant emotion that was Bhava is now Rasa. So the Taibhav, when it matures, and it's combined with other auxiliary bhavas, it, be, it becomes rasa. There are other, it's complicated, but um, uh, I've written about it, I think in my Shikshastakam commentary, I think. And I've certainly written about it in my forthcoming book, but at any rate, so bhava becomes rasa, and that means prema, okay? And then raga, Raga means attachment. And so there's different ways in which that term is used. 
one of the ways that it's used is that we have rag bhakti as opposed to vaidhi bhakti. Vaidhi bhakti is bhakti that's done because it should be done, because the scripture says it should be done. Um, and it's a path that leads to worship of God. God should be worshiped. It's dutiful. The ragmarg takes us to Vrindavan, where we worship Krishna, not because he's God and should be worshiped, but just because we love him. And so that's the path that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was given to the world, ragmarg, that takes one to Vrindavan. So in that broad sense, we're in the rag, ragmarg. Now, that said, uh, within the ragmarg, when it becomes perfect, when your culture of bhakti becomes perfect, then there's also a, a developmental stage that's called rag. Hmm? So it's complicated, but um, it it just means um, it's it's a it's a it's, it's a further sense of attachment hmm? that's being described. So there we have raga, baba, rasa, and, and you have to listen to this again to remember. And Ruchi. Yes, thank you, Mike. So is rag a taste also? Is it similar to rasa then? Pardon me. Is rag um, also a, ta a taste similar to rasa? Is it is it a, is it a taste? Did you say? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, according to one's rasa, mm -hmm, uh, in Braj, then there will be other uh, developments. Um, Prem, Sneha, Man, Raga, Anurag, Mahabhav. Hmm? These are developments within Rasa. Now, it depends which Rasa you're in, how those developments will play out. So, for example, in Vatsalya Rav, there's Rasa, there's no Mahabhav. Hmm? But there's Sneha, there's no Mana, there's no Pranai, but there's Rag. In, 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 in the Sakiras, then it goes up to Rag, then some special Sakas who are participating in Krishna's romantic life goes up to Mahabhav, so forth. So there, 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 there you find the higher idea of Raga as a stage. And this is discussed in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu and Ujbal Nilmani. So, something to think Thank about. Thank you very much, Maharaj. Okay. Thank you. What else? Do you want to ask your question? Who? Das. That's me. Hare Krishna. Oh, yes. Um, I wanted to ask a question about the term that is very often used in uh, Christianity, like um, selling the soul to devil. And... Um, I was recently listening to one lecture where it was, uh, it was spoken about um, some kind of entities, um, like evil entities, you can say so, who, who like very much um, to steal or to collect energy from people who practice some spiritual practices. And they do that in a way like they trick them. They come in, in the form of the, 
uh, of the worshipful deity that the practitioner is like worshiping and they make him to bow to to, to him and then they they say that they steal the soul but i believe that this is some kind of like error in terminology i believe that it should be something different but basically what they do they steal something from you because you accept a wrong uh, um like uh, a, a wrong you allow that entity to enter in you because of lack of knowledge or something and they they steal something from you and from that moment you are like a slave to them so i i thought maybe you could say something about that if there is mention something like that in in uh, in um in bhakti shastras yeah there's nothing like that for us in bhakti shastra and, and one of the reasons is because if there is such a thing uh as some claim and maybe there's some evidence for that uh, it, 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 it can only have an effect on a path that is not based on a dispensation coming from the other side, so to speak, and as powerful as, 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 as bhakti is. So bhakti is nirguna. If your path is within the modes, um, even, even karma or jnana are governed, for example, uh, by, um, well, by Rajas and Thomas, so, uh, uh, the, 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 you know, the kind of influence you're talking about are not, not, not liberated people. Liberated people wouldn't be doing anything like that. They'd be liberated. Um, so there may be subtle entities and so forth, but they're all working within the gunas. Hmm? And many spiritual paths, so-called, are within the gunas. I mean, even gyan yoga is within, under the jurisdiction of sattva guna. So unto itself, it can't bring mukti. Now, again, the difference here is that bhakti is this, is this dispensation from the nirguna, hmm? from beyond the modes coming to, to take us there, rather than from within the modes trying to go to a, you know, some vague idea of, of, of transcendence, as we find in, 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 in Gyanmarg. Um, but, of course, again, again careful study, you can't even, the Gyanis can't even go into Nirvishesh Brahma without some influence of bhakti. So I often give an example. If you have a passport, well, you can leave your country, but you can't go to some countries unless you have a visa. So, so to go to go to Vaikuntha, you need a visa. To go to Goloka, you need a visa. Um, so the whole path now is descending. So that nirguna influence in your life, there's nothing within the gunas that. Um, um, is going to have as much power as that, as much as you lend yourself to bhakti. If you don't lend yourself to bhakti, well, then any number of influences, you could come under your own influence of your own lust, uh, for example. And um, uh, that's a pretty big demon that uh, <laughs> uh, takes over your life and, uh, you know, and, uh, and uh, makes you do things that you're embarrassed by and afterward feel kind of st stupid about often. Uh, um, so, uh, uh, but as much as you um, open yourself to bhakti, there's no false uh, impersonation of, you know, uh, Krishna or Radha that's going to come in and, 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 and take you away. So I just want to underscore the power of, 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 of bhakti. 
it controls Krishna. I mean, I don't know how much more powerful you could get. <laughs> so if you let that into your life, to the extent that you, nobody's going to have any power over you. It could control Krishna. So I have confidence in the efficacy of bhakti and uh, advise others about it so that they don't get in a situation like some of the facts that we spoke about. Bhakti Devi Vijay. Thank you. Okay, that's it for today, huh? Nice to be with you all. Nice to be with you. Thank nice. you so much. And we'll see you next week. Okay. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.